0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Psychology 360 podcast. It's been a minute, but I'm happy to be back on. And today I have with me Carl Hayden Smith, who is the director of the Learning Technology Research Center and the Principal Research Fellow at Ravensburn University in London. Now, uh, Carl, welcome on the show. You are involved with technology, altered states and uh, psychedelics as well. so tell me a little bit about you.
1: Yeah, sure, thanks, Simon. Um, yeah, I guess the trajectory for me has been one of looking to see what technology is doing to us in terms of our our ability to, to stay human, our ability to Uh, thrive um, in ways that we have not been able to before with the the previous iterations of our media. So um, I've been very interested in the early um, ways of representing space, Uh, for instance, in in pictorial space terms. Before the Renaissance, we had many ways of constructing space inside, inside an image. And after the Renaissance, we have this sort of very codified way of representing space. And I was super interested in the types of consciousness that were around before we had codified space and how and the relationship between space and the ways we are building worlds inside the, the cyberspace, um, how that's affecting our abilities in terms of consciousness. You know, what, how, can, we, can, we, can we parallel process In these spaces that we're creating in the virtual, you know, if we're building these worlds and organizing them from a bird's eye perspective, we're gaining this peripheral vision in our world building. And, you know, this replicates what was going on with the memory palaces being constructed by Greek orators who didn't write anything down but had seven hour speeches already, you know, mapped into a virtual space, an amphitheater, say, an architectural. Um, model of a building inside within their own virtual realities of their minds are then being used to orate, to to tell a story in um, you know, in the real world. So what are the the modern day memory palaces that these technologies provide? You know, what does it mean now that mixed reality will mean that we're back in the body because we will have our iPhones in our eyes, we'll be seeing our iPhone. And we'll be using gesture and voice instead of this tiny little bit of real estate that zombified our, our abilities to be in the world and to have um, the human experience. So I'm looking at how we can use technologies to regain our humanity and actually go beyond it. Because I think that without talking to the animals, without perceiving nature uh, in a more material way in terms of how we are interacting with it our consumer choices and what effects those have on the biosphere um, around us you know how can we use technology to make that more clear to make that cycle um, of you know purchase through to where that whatever you do with that um, item where you know whether it biodegrades or whether it's you know a permanent tear on the on the on the landscape so yeah, I guess my interests are far and wide, but the basic premise is how can we use the technologies that we build to build ourselves in a, in a more fundamental way? So human-led, human design-led um, technologies.
0: Yes, quite a bit to unpack there. Uh, I would say that, the, yeah, what I saw, you know, you are also interested in what you call post-humanism and you mentioned hyperhumanism, which is Basically, what you're talking about in terms of make, making technology help us reconnect to our original state without having it, without us losing ourselves in it and maybe um, creating a more enhanced human. Is that what you mean? Because um, you give good examples and it sounds a bit paradoxical. Uh, to me, you mentioned a lot of uh, things there, including purchasing uh, choices, things that impact our environment, but also the impact of technology on our consciousness. And I, one thing that I'm very interested in is how things like social media sites now, for example, Twitter or TikTok, impact the minds, you know, the developing minds of young kids who are connecting at like age seven or age 9 And so can you tell me a little bit about what you think about this and also uh how you how you program and how you envision this type of hyperhuman uh space or consciousness.
1: Yeah well again a lot to unpack in your reply. Um I suspect in terms of the First point about hyperhumanism it's it's a question of what what can we do with technology that allows us to, to write perfectly like grammarly is very big at the moment but arguably you don't become a better writer <clears throat> when you use grammarly because you're dependent on grammarly and you're, you're you know it's doing the work for you so you don't have to do it it's it's a cognitive bypass that means that you don't develop the skill so I'm interested in technologies that would um, act as a uh, like the, the stabilizer on your bike. When you learn to cycle, you use them for a short period of time and then you remove the stabilizers, but you still have that skill at the end of your, the, your period of being stabilized. So it's again, reframing our technology so they don't become dependencies. And the way we look at GPS, for instance, GPS is now a, a go-to method for finding your way around. And unfortunately, it means that you don't take the time to actually work out where you are in space and even in your own neighborhood. Um, So it's, I think, important to look at what a taxi driver with the knowledge would have in terms of his brain development and his humanity returning, you know, in in terms of his hippocampus enlarging, physically getting larger uh, as a result of doing that training. And that means, the knowledge means that he knows where every road in London is. But also where the bends are on those roads so he's creating a sort of a um, a digital twin yeah um, a digital twin of of London in his own head and I think you know what what's it mean when we can move off the page move off the 2d flat world of of, of laying out our designs and actually build in 3d and I think that's where we're going with the internet we're moving from A 2d internet where everything's just web pages that you go to to a 3d world internet where every single site becomes a 3d world and then you you can see the amount of you know the amount of functionality that becomes available uh is is ginormous especially if you're not just building another second life where you're replicating the real world inside the virtual world where you have to literally go down the shopping mall into the aisle to get your product I mean it's most missed it's the the deadening of imagination when you're seeing this stuff happening so for me it's about how do we how do we really use the internet in a way that enables us to connect in brand new ways and I think that for instance I've been running these co-reality collective parties with about 30 organizers and we have parties where we are creating memory palaces inside the virtual space. So we'll have a multi-roomed experience with an interactive map. And uh, you go into different parts of that space um, and, and you have different t- types of experiences. But the, the you know the breakthrough is when you, you decide to go and get in the hot tub together. So everyone's like 400 people distributed over the world, all in the bath, all in their own baths. Uh, pretending they're in a hot tub, listening to DJs, all listening to the same music whilst in water, you know, and suddenly you think, oh, hang on, maybe this is what the internet was for, um, to have these connected experiences that you could never have thought of or done without the technology there to enable it.
0: I can imagine that at this point in time, with the restrictions and everything else that is going on, you you must be having quite a bit of opportunities to uh, try these things out. And it sounds absolutely fascinating. This memory pal, you called it memory palace? Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's right. So this so, is, yeah. So yeah. how does
0: it connect with memory? Like, uh, explain it for me, please.
1: So, so a typical memory palace, um, you know, it was used to remember a, a very long poems, for instance, and what you're doing is you're literally mapping that, part, that poem into, lands, into a landscape which you know inside and out. So a lot of landscapes are composed of your, your own living room, for instance, where you know very much where everything is in your room and you can remember it with your eyes closed. So you're literally tagging one, one word of each of that, that poem to different parts of the room, and then you're taking a walk through the room to actually trigger the whole poem. And it's it's, it's 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 utilizing that dimension of space, the third dimension of space to really um, enable memoriz- memorization. And I notice, like a lot of the times when I forget something, it's because I've left the room and I've gone into another room and I'll go back to the original room where the memory was, was shaped uh, to retrieve it. So I have to actually be in the same context. And they've done this brilliant experiment with people being tested for 20 items they were given the list 20 items to remember underwater and they were then told to go up uh, on, on out, out of water to, to try and remember the list and the average was like five or six remembered outside of water but back in the water they could remember sort of 15 16. so it's very much context dependent your memory construction so i think the more context you have to play with uh, then the more likely you are to be able to retain the information
0: so if I understood th- this correctly, you could use this application to maybe like you were you were talking about before, like the, the taxi drivers in London and how they are known to remember all the roads, all the details. So would you use this uh, also to help people to prevent maybe cognitive decline that comes about with age? Or would you have like these kind of these... Um, alternative uh, or digital uh, models of a city or not just apply a, a place like a house to then practice practice these things like memory
1: yeah it's a really good one isn't it because I'm a mad archivist myself and I've, I remember when I first started my diary project um, I was around 18 traveling in Mexico and was told not to not to continue writing in a diary because that means that you're externalizing your memories. You're putting your memories inside uh, an external box. You know, you're putting them under your bed, and they're not in your head anymore. Um, and I I actually I've disagreed after a few weeks of, of not trying not to write, primarily because the the diary acts as an anchor. So you may only have a sentence to describe what's happening. And I write the diary from three levels. So I write content, what I did, context, what I felt, the mood, and concepts would be the thoughts I'd had. So again, I'm only writing for five minutes a day, but to have that three levels covered meant that I was covering the thinking, the doing, and the being. Um, and that actually was you know, incredibly useful to look back on because you look at one sentence and you you can reconstruct not just only that day, but the three days, you know, the two days either side of it. So you get a sense of the space because of that anchor. Without that anchor, you would have nothing. And uh, I know that there's there's research saying that you can apply small amounts of electricity to certain parts of the brain and you can retrieve certain memories. And I I think there is certainly a storehouse that is revealed in things like life reviews where people go back and they experience their lives again and they, they commonly say everything's recorded and that again comes up with a boga I began where people are having life reviews um, that are continuous. so you may you may actually get to from zero or even before zero to a certain age in the first boga journey and then uh, a second boga journey will start invariably from where you left off a bit like dreams that you can continue over over duration over days um, but yeah i guess the the key thing is the memory loss question it's a really fascinating one because the there's there's something called the sense cam that was out for people with alzheimer's and dementia and that would be able to it would be so it was a, literally a camera that you wore around your neck like a bracelet like a necklace and you would uh, it would take a picture every single second, or sorry, every 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 time there was a change in the scene. So that would then it would actually create a, a playback, a very quick accessible playback of the last day, uh, the last hour, the last two hours, the last four hours, the last eight hours, sped up, so that you could at least retract, you know, your 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 you know, because it's short-term memory loss. Uh, the ability to not form new memories which is a big problem for alzheimer's so the yeah that that kind of device i'm wondering how that could be embedded into a mixed reality how that would be updated for mixed reality actually because you have an instant feedback like having a rear view mirror in your car showing you what's going on in the past what you've what you've driven through so you could potentially have a a similar thing for your own life so you could you could sort of have a gesture that would rewind your life for you. It sounds very Black Mirror, doesn't it? But um, I could certainly use it for, for conversations where i you know, been too tired to have a, a, a really solid grasp of, of uh, everything I'm saying. And then you start to lose the beginning of a sentence once you are getting to the end of it. So you know, I, I think, yeah, the, the possibilities are endless for uh, memory. And I think one of the mass- massively fascinating things about memory is that you You need to forget. It's actually a, a really important thing that you forget. Um, you wouldn't really get on with anyone if you forget all the, all the grievances you had. And I think that there's a specific condition that enables you, you can never forget a single thing. There's about 10 people with this condition. I can't remember the name of the condition. Um, but they literally cannot forget anything. And they can even report, they even report and remembering stuff on birth. So, yeah, I think that would be a tremendous um, responsibility to not be able to forget. So, yeah, therefore, we should use our technologies wisely. Yeah, that's
0: very interesting. Just for the listeners who are um, hearing this, you mentioned the similarities between iboga, which is a psychedelic uh, plant which is used also for um, helping or treating addictions, right? Uh, and you said that there's like a timeline effect. I never heard of that. So, pers- yeah. Okay. So, a person sees their whole lives from when they were kids, or how does it work? Yeah. I
1: mean, it, it seems to be like this very fatherly review. It's not like ayahuasca where you're having a dream like experience. Um, it's very much a, a, a cinematic recording of your life. And it's very common for um, Iboga. Participants, not everyone obviously, but I know I've I've spoken to a lot of people that have uh, had eboga journeys. It was also revealed on the Chris Backer um, recent book and podcast. I don't know whether you've had a chance to talk to him. He uh, had um, a long 23 year journey of uh, LSD, high dose LSD experiences, where he also experienced this. continuous trip over, he would only trip twice once, you know, two or three times a year, but his journey was a continuous one for 23 years uh, with doses over 500 mics. Um, massively fascinating experience that he went through. And I, and he, he talks, I mean, I'll summarize it very briefly. He talks about the, the first year or two where he was experiencing his own death multiple times inside the LSD journey, and he was experiencing reincarnation. And then he experienced the death of the humanity as a whole, rather than just the individual. Then he went through what he described, the lake of despair, um, reaching the platonic forms and the archetypes. He said that he came across the original forms. And then beyond there, he, uh, he saw the, the birth of the new human and he, he remarked how incredible this new human was and how different um, to what we have now in terms of this capitalist, domina- uh, you know, this abomination of, uh, you know, consume, consume until there's nothing left to, to consume. And very hopeful. So this was around, I don't know, 10 years into his journeys. And he, he was literally, so, you know, he would be with his wife and she would, uh, you know, sit with him and, 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 and basically, you know, he recorded these huge journeys to the point where he was experiencing these, these realms of absolute light, he called it. Uh, And he came to the conclusion that we, the universe is a machine uh, for creating diamond souls. So I highly recommend checking him out, but I'm fascinated by the, this ability to yeah. Have a continuous experience over, over separate journeys. Um, but also yeah with the aboga that's a common that's definitely a common trait but you should also look into life life review uh, research and the this this yeah this epiphenomena of uh, life reviews i've had one myself and Hmm. it it was it was almost like a memory palace of its own because well my life became the product i uh, i had um, you know this very strange double consciousness experience of being in my normal consciousness, as I am now talking to you, but also in my in my experience going in reverse. So I had these episodic journeys uh, of the past, one by one by one, and they were absolutely crystal clear. Like everything was there, everything was recorded, and I was literally able to move my point of view. So I was in my normal consciousness, my current consciousness. Sorry, yeah, my normal, current, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> my normal current consciousness. And uh, the consciousness I was in going back then. But because I'd also had an out of body experience uh, earlier on in my life, I was able to leave my body and go to anything else in the scene. Uh, so I would, I first of all tried to go into a table. I went into this table and I felt what it was like to have wood, a wood consciousness. And my, so I was in a triple consciousness at that point. And then it went further. And uh, yeah, but the point of the story is that. That everything was retained all of that all of that memory was there for, for, for re-experiencing and my working hypothesis is that we have a point of view experience in life but in death we have a field of view experience where we're able to access anything or anyone else um, as them and so I was actually able to go to other people and become them and have the experience of understanding what they thought of me and what they felt about me whilst being me and them at the same time
0: that's fascinating so you've uh, you've mentioned a lot of interesting uh, experiences of consciousness and would you say then and i have a couple of things there but one thing is would you say that then this the psychedelic experiences were what prone what prone you to uh, become more interested in this uh medium of technology that is Impacting and creating these uh, evol- evolution of consciousness within the human species, um, or is it some? Or were you interested in technology before? And no, I, I,
1: I, yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, and this and the other thing, just what well, this is just the thought uh, that I've been having while listening to you from the beginning, actually, of our talk, is that you you sound like when you what you're describing kind of sounds like uh, already like a, what we used to call it double conscious. It sounds like an alternative uh, universe where we would, we have like the technologies we may currently have, like social media sites and other like GPS. And instead of making us dependent and being based on a, a, a business model, which uh, Sosana Zuboff called uh, the surveillance capitalism, it's actually keeps in mind is more scientifically based and keeps in mind how the mind works and how to uh, improve uh, let's say memory and things of this sort rather than to make us dependent so how how do you implement that within the business model that we have i know there's two questions there but Uh,
1: yeah let me let me look at the first one um so the the question of you know, technology and, and psychedelics, I, I see that them, you know technology being psychedelic and psychedelics being technology. I think when we look at the DMT extended experiment that I'm about to do at Imperial uh, as a participant, it's gonna be a fascinating journey of understanding DMT as, a, as, a, as an electric, as almost like an electricity that you're plugging yourself into the, the electricity of DMT um and i'm going to be literally drip you know drip drip fed the 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 the, the DMT to keep me in the, the the experience much longer than a normal natural uh, duration so that's going to be fascinating because that does turn this medicine this plant medicine into a technology into a reliable no tolerance uh, technology that you, you literally can plug in and out of
0: and sorry and can think- you explain that a little bit deeper because it's very uh complicated yeah. for me and uh, probably the listeners you mentioned yeah, sure. DMT dimethyltryptamine psychedelic yeah. compound is is like you're t- doing an experiment to see whether it generates electricity within the no, 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 no.
1: yeah no no I'm, 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 it's an analogy so i'm making i'm making uh, an analogy that it is it will be like electricity in the sense that you plug your devices into electricity to, to enable them to work and uh, with dmt extended it's an, it's a study happening at imperial it's also happening in america and um, where we're going to where, where basically they're trying to uh see if you can it maintain the, the the peak state of the DMT journey over time. So it will start with a you know sort of 40-minute duration instead of a 10-minute duration. What's fascinating is that I always have this persistent experience of being on DMT, is, is seeing this, this sort of language. I see this hieroglyphic language at the core of my vision in a disc, and it's made of this holographic, it looks digital, uh, you know, light it's it's holographic light but it's like ancient and modern at the same time it's hieroglyphic it looks you know persistent it's it's very much there all the time so if i can be maintained inside the dmt state uh, with uh with this so you're you're basically on um uh, a mechanism of like an uh, when you're being anaesthetized so you would be you know a trip fed dmt to to maintain a certain dose over time um, and then that would enable me to then potentially bring back and draw what I'm, what I'm experiencing, and bring it back, <clears throat> bring it back from the, from the DMT space.
0: Okay, so that's fascinating. So you would be then creating art because um, ultimately what I, what I personally believe with these substances and I'm not an experienced user and I know the literature uh, I'm primarily interested in this, in the psilocybin mushroom. And I've always looked at it from a pragmatic perspective of it helps with addiction, such as nicotine addiction. It helps um, with uh, brain, with brain issues uh, with it's, it's known to be neuroprotective. And I, I find what, what is most important with these substances is that what, what you bring back, as you mentioned, what is the inspiration how do you um how do you help improve yourself or the world and you know your social environment and all the rest so is that also uh one of the goals or do you approach it in a less goal-oriented way
1: uh, yeah i guess it's a research standpoint of of what are the potential roots of both benefit and uh and you know, denigration, I think that a lot of these things, if you look at them in terms of uh, whether they're a technology, whether they, they, they create a social good or a social ill, we don't know until we actually you know build these things a lot of the time. But a lot of them are not built from a human-centric perspective, but from a very much techno-centric perspective. And therefore, they're just built for the sake of it. Whether, whether there is a real need that these things um, solve or, or or benefit us is unknown and i think that we've, we've really got to re re uh, re-imagine our, our our desire for augmentation what what are we wanting to do with the augmentation you know, is it going to lead to a denigration of reality because whenever you even if you think about the mixed realities that are coming whenever you augment reality it's very difficult to go back and I think we've seen that time and time again with our technologies that have layered up with hot and cold technologies. You can see that we have uh, been transformed each time by each wave of technology. And I guess what I don't want to see is that we build Wally World where we, you know, this, this, this app, you know, the app generation where everything's a one button solution for everything. Get me a job, get me a girl, get me a house, get me a, you know, get whatever it is. It's like one button for everything. And I think that, that creates a misleading representation of the world because we don't live in, a, in that kind of reality. That's, that's a gamified way of running your uh, OS. And I think that we need to get back to a much more hands-on, like you, 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 you get the, the fuel for your fire. You understand the relationship between the electricity you're using and where it's coming from. Now I think that we need to not be dependent on the mirage of the, of the user interface and uh, it's very easy for that to become your reality if that's what you're using 90% of the time.
0: Hmm. And it's interesting you make the, um, you make this, the symbol this uh, connection between mind or consciousness and operating system. I guess it is always the case that uh, we at least in the West, Tend to uh, look at technology and make analogies according to the era we're in, like the industrial revolution. We might be talking about steam engine or something of that sort. And now you're mentioning this, and also uh, I see the what what you said, like the app generation, and you you know you press a button. It sounds similar to a previous uh, way of seeing it. more of Uh, a a previous uh, perspective like with pharmaceuticals you take a pill to go to sleep a pill to stay awake etc so it's a similar model Um, Mm -hmm. but what I'm what I'm trying to figure out is when you like so you you bring forward issues that are coming about with let's say how the capitalist model Uh, the business model have intertwined with technology and you bring also some warnings like about what can happen what could go wrong but yet you don't uh, take the approach of saying back to nature for example or let's let's um, create a society where we're the disconnected types or is that also something you you t- you think about in terms of detox and digital detoxes?
1: Absolutely, yeah. I am absolutely back to nature. That's the, the thing that people always find about me that's quite weird. That I'm very pro. Well-designed technologies, but technologies that connect us to nature more than anything. And I think if we look at some of the devices that enable us to, in, in, you know, enable us to have new senses. Like the north, the north sense, for instance, is a electronic device that you you your body pierce into your chest, and it it will vibrate every time it you face north. So in a few weeks, you actually have this new sense, and it enables you to have a very new relationship with your own spatial awareness, and um, it's also you know it gives you something over your phone you know the gps that we mentioned before is just literally destroying our sense of direction and and how do you if you have no sense of direction or sense of where you are in space how can you know how can you incorporate that into your memories so spatial awareness and imprinting your sense of space is part of your your ability to remember anything as we talked about before with the remembering inside and outside of context so yeah i guess it's uh it's very much around, and you talked about business models, and um, I guess the new economy is going to be one of context engineering. It will not be content anymore. You know, we will have moved beyond, and we will still obviously you know, make the kinds of things that we make today, but we will have an infinite way of relating with those things. And we will we'll also have a massively infinite way of relating to the things that we've already made and to see them completely anew. And what I mean by context engineering is when we have the ability to, to change the way we see fundamentally or change the way we're hearing the world fundamentally, uh, because I've worn a 360 pair of glasses that gave me 360 vision for a week. And it was almost as if the brain was saying, well, thanks very much. Why didn't you do this before? But imagine what happens to fashion? What happens to sport? what happens to all these fundamental activities uh, in the content economy where we're able to change them with the context economy by changing the way we perceive.
0: That is absolutely fascinating. So you were wearing these 360 degree glasses for a week?
1: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it only takes 15 minutes for your brain to adjust. So in, in terms of how that works... Imagine you've got a pair of glasses that um, you have 180 degrees, right? When you're seeing out of your eyes, you see 180 degrees. Mm-hmm. And uh, what you do is you wear the glasses and that, that enables you to see a 360 view of that in, compressed into 180 degrees. So your normal 180 degrees becomes 360 degrees from a street view camera that you're wearing uh, through the cap, through the glasses. And, uh, yeah, it only takes 15 minutes to, to adjust to, to living, walking around like that. And people were testing me by throwing things at me from behind. And I would catch a ball from behind because I could see it coming from behind me.
0: Yeah, I can imagine the first 15 minutes have to be a bit difficult, right? With the, you know, I don't exactly. know, I can imagine getting a little bit uh, nauseous. Or Yeah, it,
1: it's amazing, though, that your brain does, you know, take it as a new input. Mm-hmm. So your brain is just a black box, but which is pretty, it doesn't see itself. It's taking in these electronic sig- signals and from that signal, it works out, uh, what, you know, what you are go- what's going on. So it just shows you that you can fundamentally change those inputs and, uh, and, and create new senses. So I think in terms of the back to nature stuff, absolutely. I'm very fascinated by how we can learn from say a mycelium network, which is far more superior in terms of intelligence than we are, or that we've been indoctrinated into having in the West, especially with our capitalist, uh, materialist perspectives. Um, Because if we were to sort of understand, and I had this experience just recently with a power cut in my flat, uh, which is in a block of flats, um, because the, the power went out and everyone suddenly returned to their primal selves and realizing it was like a, you know, all you had is your candlelight and your, you know your, your, your whatever you had to read. There's, there's no, there's no nothing, nothing else. You, you couldn't even cook. You mm-hmm. couldn't even run the water in the house without electricity because it was a, a second floor and it needs pipes to get the, you know, pumps to get the water up. So it made you realize um, how dependent you are. And because we had a back channel on WhatsApp uh, with all the people in the in the building suddenly sharing pictures of their candle lit rooms and their their needs. You know how much electricity they had left on their phones. Um, people were offering to share like battery packs with them if they had more than one battery pack charged, and uh, suddenly you're you're acting like a mycelium network, which is you know the mycelium node no to share with the tree roots or whatever it is that's in need of in need of energy at that current moment. So I think you're seeing that because of that WhatsApp technology that enables us to act like one species one endangered species that's, that's seeking to, to protect itself from the, from the, the wild world out there.
0: Hmm. That's very interesting. Yeah,
1: I love the analogy you, you made
0: again. Uh, and for those of you, the listeners who may not know what the illusion there is about, uh, it's been discovered that trees, for instance, use uh, the mycelium networks or mushrooms, uh, what, what would you call the mycelial networks? Like the mushrooms' roots, to basically communicate with one another, send out signals of distress. So that is, uh, yeah, that's a quite quite a fascinating uh, aspect. But do you believe that you know, since since we've seen so much of technology and especially ideas that came about as great ideas with the intention of connecting us more. For example, uh, social media sites that whose, whose founders or creators were, were under the impression that you know these would help um, make people more connected, make people maybe even more social. Uh, but then in reality, we see quite the dark side of these uh, technologies where we've seen an explosion of polarization, for instance, in politics, we've seen uh, just the worst aspect of human nature come out very often through these sites. Do you, believe, do you think about these, uh, what, what are the potential downsides of the technologies you're describing?
1: Yeah, well, I, absolutely. I, I, I see that we have a massive awakening to the downsides of technology and that's because we're all sitting around in our boxes, tapping away on our screens, thinking that we're having a social life. You know, it's, it's not a social life unless it's an embodied one. And I think that the danger is, is that we're building these solutions and those solutions will ultimately encourage remoteness because of our apathy and our one button solution addiction and our just general addiction to, to instant satisfaction and instant gratification. So we've become lazy, we've become the Wally world, and I hope that the lockdown will will cause a massive kickback against this screen-based life. And if you look at things like Pokemon Go, uh, which was the first sort of successful augmented reality app, which had people chasing monsters around the world, they were outside at least. People were outside again, and they were, you know, they were... chasing stupid stuff around but the point is is that you could also use the same technology to get people to go and vote or to get people to go and recycle or to get people to go and you know organize self-organize into groups in order to get changes made uh, where they're never going to be made unless you get up and make a stand for yourself
0: that's yeah i mean that's very like also uh good points i would say that the example you gave uh, of Pokemon Go. I was um, reading into that, and there was also, uh, you know, it it was also infused with a kind of uh, business model at a certain point where there was some kind of agreements where they would almost like doing paid ads. Uh, Companies, especially restaurants, cafes, uh, were putting, were basically uh, lobbying, if we can use that word, lobbying the company to have the Pokemon be inside a Starbucks or inside uh, another kind of restaurant. So that could be already like a, a way that this, even the if, the if the noble idea would be get people to do more exercise, for example, or be outside, even that is a kind of a corruption, mm-hmm. right? So I can see like that there would be some potential um, dangers to this, but everything has the dark and the light within it
1: so absolutely absolutely yeah and I, I guess it leads on to the full gamification of your life where you are being monitored as you brush your teeth and the amount of brushes of the, the you know the correct stroking of your teeth um would be monitored and then rewarded so you would receive points from the you know from the dentist company to say that you yeah you, you've got a percentage of money off your insurance or whatever it is mm-hmm. and you can already see this with the social credit rating system in china which is and a, a horrific black mirror um, adoption, widespread, widespread adoption of these technologies to monitor their citizens. And if you don't get enough likes, then you're not getting a hotel in your holiday destination. It's, it's a very dystopian and uh, horrific system where, where you're seeing now in the, in, the, in the East, a widespread adoption of Orwellian 1984 uh, whereas in the West we've been given Brave New World by Hux uh, by Huxley, right? Uh, where we're where we're f- we're permanently distracted, permanently, um, you know, living in this sort of drugged, fueled uh, days, uh, completely disempowered, uh, in a very similar but more you know just a serious way.
0: Yeah, those those are great points, and indeed I I agree, and this is. And we have to keep in mind that this is, again, tapping into aspects of human consciousness, of the human experience, which are quite ancient. Uh, These, you know, these dopamine hits, these uh, rewarding, you know, this uh, need for approval from others. So that's quite a good point. Now, I would like to uh, just maybe start finishing up with... uh, A question and uh your views in terms of using this i'm not sure if you've developed or looked into uh technology in terms of and and applications for psychotherapy for instance because i had on the show a couple of guests that were talking about things like virtual reality Uh, For uh, schizophrenia or uh, patients with anxiety disorders, which I've actually tried, uh, you know, this kind of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, VR, which was quite, um, quite powerful in terms of facing situations like fear of heights or other kind of phobias. So do you have any uh, knowledge about this realm?
1: Yeah, I do. And I think it's super important whenever you're talking about therapy to never eliminate the human in this uh, interaction. And there's been a lot of instances with my colleague and, and, and you know, mentor as well as uh, uh, co-founder of the Cyberdelic Society. You know, he would create these ayahuasca journeys or ayahuasca like uh, experiences and uh, inside the virtual and he's, I've seen him with actual shay—you know, real, really powerful experiences happening to shamans coming out of his experiences. And unless he's there to hold the space and to act uh, like you would in a very much physical setting, the, the power of these technologies is that you're creating context as well as content. You're creating the environment that these, these experiences unfold in. So therefore you have a much greater responsibility in terms of human computer interaction uh, than before, and I think a lot of people haven't realised this yet. So you need to be to be multimodal in your approach. You need to have an understanding of psychology. You need to have an understanding of physiology and neuroscience, uh, as well as good uh, human-computer interaction design. Because otherwise, you're gonna you're gonna be creating experiences that cause more trauma than the uh, you know maybe the original experience. So. I think with with anything to do with therapy, we have to be very mindful that with any digital training, with any digital intervention, it's never going to have the same impact as a full bodied um, neuro enhanced. You know, neural pathways are, are going to remain thin when you're in a when you're in a digital simulation or in, when you're in one of these experiences. Even if you are creating the environment, the environment is still synthetic and uh, i don't think we're near to a point where we're gonna we're gonna be you know taken over so i think that therapy is a is a very you know very new very um very fascinating area for us to go down with these virtual immersive worlds but we have to be very mindful of the power that they have but also of their limitations in terms of having this ability to to really create lasting change. I think it will, they will give you bite-sized chunks of instances where you can, you can get a taste for, for, for these, these, these interventions, but you don't want to be living in there.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a great point. And in terms of the CBT um, exposure therapy device that I saw, uh, of course it would be, used uh only for specific phobia like for example i don't know arachnophobia fear of spiders mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so yeah i would it wouldn't cut the human element out of course
1: great but- Yeah, i guess i guess yeah sorry i was just just referring to a lot of using a lot of i mean we talked about the business side of things uh, how much money has been pumped into the psychedelic scene uh, especially psychedelic therapy and uh, the 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 VR sort of the VR therapist, and I think this is very problematic. And I and I know a lot of people that work work on integration science, and they you know we want to make sure that you're not being looked after by a cyborg.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned uh you mentioned there uh you were you were one of the founders or the founder of the Cyberdelic Society. So is that basically? the creation of these, you were mentioning also, like altered states of consciousness that are induced by these technologies.
1: That's right, yeah, yeah. There, there's, a, there's a little collective of us. And again, it's, it's about, and we've incubated the, this, this idea of cyberdelic societies all over the world. And uh, it's been fascinating looking at the regional differences for how people understand how technology can imp- influence their consciousness and um we've got things like you know look at we're looking at amsterdam versus melbourne for instance the 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 dutch were very much more skeptical than the londoners of technology whereas london we love our gadgets and and endlessly buying the latest models in amsterdam they're much more sort of conservative and suspicious whereas in melbourne they may be slightly further behind in terms of time uh, to get the technologies but they are very, very intelligently thinking about how these technologies uh, will affect us and should be adopted. So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a question of how do we understand that technologies do have a um, a very interesting potential. Like I'll give you one example, which is the Lucia light, which you sit in front of and it, it fires white light into your, into your third eye and you get your eyes closed and basically, you're. You're starting to see colors that you've never seen before within a few seconds of just sitting in front of a flickering light that's uh, vibrating at a certain uh, pitch and uh and you know it, it's it's just incredible how a light machine can can give you a psychedelic experience but that's just one example and I'm very much interested in you know understanding the 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 way that we we're here to explore all sorts of phenomenon like death we're, we're working on a project called seventh ray which again is looking back at the mystery schools of, of ancient greece and rome and then egypt and we had mystery schools all over the ancient world and they were exploring death they were exploring the you know similar to what we're going through at the moment this sort of death rite, where we're all being faced with the our own our own mortality and being asked to to step up not not to not think you know how how 2020 was meant to be the year that you got everything. Maybe 2020 was the year that you were, made to, that you were f- finally able to understand and appreciate what you already have. So I think that that's something that we, you know, we have to be uh, building into our technologies. Do we really need the latest iPhone or can we work with the phones and the technologies that we've already got or maybe just need to, you know, we need to be more careful about how they're used? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that, and I think that it is absolutely bizarre to see. I mean, something like the iPhone. We have the iPhone twelve now, uh, but people changing them up every year. I mean, the amount of uh, rare earth, uh, you know, minerals that are used, metals that are used, it's crazy. And and the technological advances are quite, uh, quite good. So I don't see why they, you know, people can't have a phone for. I don't know, six, seven, maybe ten years, even longer. Um, it just, it just needs to be, you know, this, this needs to be thought of because it's unsustainable. And I don't know, it, it seems like a quite a superficial value to hold in, in a culture. But could you give uh, one? So you gave an example like the, this light, and what I was thinking about when you were saying that that it is. Again, we are all intertwined in nature and you're describing something like a color maybe that we haven't seen before, which uh, a bird, you know, birds may see or other species may see. So ultimately, we're just expanding, you know, and, and again, emulating in a certain way other aspects of nature, right, even with the 360 vision you know things exactly. as, yeah like other exactly. species that can do that kind of stuff so yeah so I'm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm like, getting, i guess, yeah i
1: guess yeah i guess the thing is that we you know we only experience our consciousness from this very limited umwelt the, the umwelt is a the sensorial system that you have you have access to your apparatus for sensing the world and how that apparatus is wi- wi- wildly different from other other species so how can we plug in? How can we use technology to plug into other species and how they sense, and then understand that how rich that context engineering leads to your enhanced view of how strange this world really is because we're only seeing it through the prism of our own eyes and our own our own uh, facilities and I think that a fascinating thing is that this the same view is is completely different for for so many other species that we're vastly wiping off the face of the earth. So if we could sense like them, maybe we, we wouldn't just destroy them so readily.
0: Definitely. That's a, that's a point about empathy and compassion that indeed we don't realize. I, I guess it's, it's kind of this uh, arrogance that we, we think totally. we are the only conscious beings. I mean, the, some of the things that science has uh, claimed in the past in terms of mechanistic reality of uh, you know animals and humans uh, humans are in the same class right we are part of nature so it seems totally myopic and uh, crazy but yes indeed and and you make a good point maybe if we are able to experience what other beings entities experience then we would
1: have a higher level of compassion Yeah, exactly. I think it's about revealing the invisible, mm -hmm. and and like you say, the science has made these terrible assumptions about mechanic action leading to no consciousness, or you know. Whereas I, I, you know, I've I've had experiences not even induced by any technology that um, have shown me that even a a, even a table is is conscious in some manner. You know, I've had the consciousness of wood and, and and being in a in a table. So I think that the, the, the way, and if we talk about sense-making, and I think that the term is problematic, but if we understand that our sense-making is incredibly limited to a very small fraction of what's out there, and uh, the more that we can act- open our eyes and open our senses to, to the much greater, the, the, the full dynamic range of life, then we, we might treat it with the respect it deserves.
0: That's a great, yeah. That's a great point. And do you and the last thing about the cyberdelics? Could you give an uh, like an example of you? You said you you have this kind of uh, VR. I, I I'm guessing that would induce a similar state of consciousness as an ayahuasca experience. So what does that look like? How does that? And again, like not just look like, but in terms of all the senses, how do you integrate? that kind of experience into a virtual reality.
1: Yeah, there is a, there is an ayahuasca VR experience that you're welcome to check it out. It's not um, the one that we've created, but um, the kinds of things that we've created are similar. So uh, Jose created Virtual Awakening, which is all about, again, having, having this experience of, of ex- experiencing your own death and then looking back on your life and then trying to, to have sort of a, this life review effectively. And with the seventh ray mixed reality experience, we we actually allowed you to leave your body and to experience this um, out of body experience that's quite profound in the sense that when you experience yourself to still be conscious without your body there, then you suddenly realise your 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 consciousness isn't tied to your body. So it's an incredibly valuable experience. And we also look at the other parameters of the mystery school um, and what the what was likely to have we don't know what happened in those mystery schools because uh, if you if you spoke of the uh the initiation that you had then you were sentenced to death and so that was a very very powerful way of keeping the knowledge within um, but the yeah the, the we know that they took psychedelics we know that there was a uh, sensory deprivation We know that they experienced some sort of death ritual where they were they that you you were reborn, and you had this perspective of, oh my God, I'm I'm going, not going to be long for the world. Let me focus on what is really important. What what gives me vitality? What makes me feel alive? What makes me enchanted?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and this is another thing that I guess modern uh, or postmodern society has kind of lost touch with is. The initiatic tradition in the true sense of the word where one experiences a death-like experience, a rebirth, and comes back with a different perspective and a, a value of what matters and what doesn't matter and ultimately comes enlightened, right? That's one of the uh, inductions to enlightenment. So, okay, I think this is a good point uh, to finish up carl if you could tell the listeners where they can find you your website or any other uh, place on the on the web where they can find uh, your work or your articles or anything of the sort
1: yeah sure well we have the cyberdelic society which you can go to on the internet and uh, i also have um, my linkedin page and uh, i'm i'm on facebook as well you can find me as uh, behind the beats uh, so facebook.com forward slash behind the beats, one word. And I'm yeah, I'm I'm very much um, building websites at the moment. So we are working on a couple of new projects. One of them is called the Museum of Consciousness. And in the Museum of Consciousness, we're actually creating almost like you can imagine a Facebook for all states. So that we are looking to see how we can, and at the moment it's just audio only. So the first exhibition was. Uh, two to four minute audio clips that enable you to reach a, an altered state of consciousness. So we have this very circular system embedded into the museum so that each artist who's transmitting their, their instruction uh, is given the two to four minutes. And then you have a 10, 10 minute practice period. So you can do this in, in individually or in a group. Uh, so we've been running them on zoom, on zoom rooms. And so everyone tries the experience and, uh, and then they report back. So you have this circular model of a transmission from the artist, uh, integration and practice from the audience, and then a feedback from the audience back to the artist so that they can actually explain uh, in real time and the the artist can benefit from in real time, a a, a regenerating of their own practice. So that's got about 50 people uh, submitted uh, these altered altered, uh, state, Initiations, and uh, we've launched that at Burning Man last year in, uh, in the virtual Burning Man. We'll be running uh, virtual Burning Man again with the Co-Reality Collective, uh, helping uh, put uh, put on another another universe. I don't know how we're going to run it this year, but it's really exciting. But the point is, is that with this museum, we're creating another sort of mycelium network where you go through the museum and you stack your 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 your, your uh, altered states into a recipe. And we're really interested in, uh, yeah, allowing it to grow. So the muse- the website's gonna be museumofconsciousness.space. And everyone that goes into the museum um, can basically be part of it. They can uh, upload their own experience and they can have their own part of the space. You own your own space in the museum and you uh, can delete it, it's your data. And it's uh, it's a way of holding these things. And I think that we need new ways of imagining the new internet and this is uh, an exciting new angle.
0: Great, yeah, that sounds very interesting, and I would love to visit the museum uh, sometime. And uh, I will also put your um, your info where in to find you on the show notes. So, Carl, thank you very much for joining me and giving some insights and uh, point of references for point of reference for people to check these things out. So, thank you very much.
1: You're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you.